following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. So we're going to be going through the book of 1 John, and we're going to be walking through this book over the next five weeks, chapter by chapter. Now you're going to be getting some different preachers. Um, I will not be here the next two weeks, so Matt will be up here next week. And then the week after that, we have a pastor filling in. His name is Mike Coppersmith. Excited to have him here filling in and taking uh, John 3. He's a really great guy. He actually was the interim um, pastor at a um, Mission Liberty Hill, which is a church plant, one of our sister church plants over in Liberty Hill. So he filled in there while they were between pastors. So we'll just keep walking our way through this book. We have a reading guide. Um, you can grab one of those here this morning. Um, if there isn't one on your row, if you ran out, you can grab some sitting throughout uh, the rest of the chairs, or we will have it online as well this week. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I ask that your words be made new this morning. That as we walk through the book of 1 John, you would teach us what you need us to hear. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So today what we're going to do is we're just going to dive right in. We're going to be walking our way through the first chapter of 1 John. It's just 10 verses. But it's 10 verses that seem to bounce around quite a bit. So we're going to start um, in the sections that are, break it up one through four, and then five through ten. So we're going to just look here first at verses one and two. It says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So as John is writing, this is the Apostle John. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He writes several books throughout the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes these three letters to the church, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he is also the author of Revelation. And so as he writes, he writes to the church at large. And he is writing not quite, but a little bit on behalf of some of the apostles, some of the twelve who are still in contact together as they have spread through the known world. So he is writing to say, listen, these are the things that we taught you. Don't forget them. But it's interesting here as he starts off, because even though it's a letter, it starts a little bit different than most letters we see in Scripture, because he skips the greeting. Most books that are written as letters, there's a greeting at the front. Um, Paul often begins, grace to you and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And John's like, we don't got time for pleasantries. Let's just dive in. And so he starts and immediately is like, here we are. Now, notice what he says here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. So he is saying, listen, we're going to start at the beginning again. So think back to um, the book of John. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So here, once again, in 1 John, he starts back 
with the Word in the beginning. He wants to start us off in the foundation of who Jesus is. And now he says, concerning the Word of life, the life was made manifest. Now this is an interesting use of this word because you, you know, when you say manifest, maybe you think about like the manifest of a cargo container of a ship or of a package, right? You know, the manifest, what's in it. But what he is talking about here is, no, something that became real, something that happened. There's kind of this weird new agey thing that I've seen, especially people of um, my generation, but it's, it's not just limited to us, but I've seen it um, in a lot of different places now on social media where people sit back and they go, you just have to manifest what you want into your life, right? And so it's like, you want a million dollars, you just got to sit and think about it. And I'm like, wow, man, if that worked, I'd just be thinking about a million dollars every morning when I woke up. The idea of manifesting is taking an idea and making it a reality, And here, what John is saying is he leads off by saying, listen, that life which was in the beginning, and he gives qualifiers that we heard, that we saw, that we looked upon, and that we touched, was made manifest. So he's looking and saying, listen, that word that was in the beginning, that was with God, was made manifest. So he's speaking of Jesus saying he was real. We saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. We were there. He was made manifest, and we have seen it. And because we have seen it, they say, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to you. Now, this is an interesting double connector here between those two things. To look and to say, okay, first, Jesus was made manifest, and so they are talking about these things were made real. Jesus was made real. And then as he goes on, he goes, and so too, through the Father, is eternal life made real to you. He draws a direct line between the physicality of Jesus to the physicality of eternal life. I want you to take a second and think, if you're living in the day and age and this letter comes to you, and what John is saying is he's saying, just as tangible as Jesus was, so now too, eternal life is tangible. Eternal life is within grasp. So he's starting out his letter, building on those two ideas. And we get to verse three and four. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that we may have fellowship, so that you may too have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he says, listen, we want to tell you about this. We want to talk about this because we want fellowship. We want fellowship together, fellowship being a deeper friendship than just life. It is a friendship founded on an identity in Christ, which says we have a friendship and that friendship is bedrocked on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So when he talks about that fellowship, he then goes on to say, and listen, we're telling you this 
because we want our joy to be complete. That there is joy in building that fellowship together, that friendship, that community based in Jesus and who he is. If you talk to people who go into church work, I, like I get that final line, that our joy may be complete. My greatest joy as a pastor, the greatest joy of, of Matt as our worshiping community director, as our volunteers, wherever they may be, as pastors, as directors of Christian education, as teachers, as people who have said, I'm going to put my livelihood into the church, that's the line. Together that our joy may be complete. That we find this joy in the manifestation of who Jesus is, what he has done, and that we learn that that's how life and community run. That they are in Jesus and what he has done. And it's not just some far-off utopia. That's the mistake we can make. Is we can look and say, well, someday it'll be perfect, right? Someday if we have enough people at Narrative Church, well, then it'll be perfect. Someday if we do the right Bible study, then it'll be perfect. Someday, if I'm a better follower of Jesus, then it'll be perfect. But here John says, listen, no, in the manifestation of Jesus, that's where the joy comes, in the realization that he brings fellowship between us. And he'll actually use a lot of familial language in this book. There'll be a lot of fathers and sons and daughters and those things together to say, this is kind of how we function. Now, what John is not is wearing rose-colored glasses. Because we get these first four verses, and they're great. They're this buildup of saying, hey, Jesus was real. We saw him. We ate with him. We touched him. He's great. And listen, he's so great. He gave us eternal life because of his connection with the Father. And that's manifest. And we have a fellowship together that's different because of our bond found in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And isn't that great? Let's all just have a picnic and sing Kumbaya. But John knows what's going on. So then we get this very fascinating section of Scripture, which is verses 5 through 10. And as we go through these, I want you to think of the idea of paradox. So a paradox is two seemingly different ideas that actually work together to function, right? Two seemingly different ideas that work together to function. Because here's, we're just going to go verse by verse now. John connects us together as a resurrected people that we will be made perfect in eternal life but he knows what life will be. So John 5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, hold on to that phrase. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. All right? Now, when we say all, that doesn't mean, you know, 50%. Right in God, there is no darkness at all. He is qualifying no darkness in God. So what does that mean for us? Because when I read 
verse 5 on its own, it gets me a little anxious because I know the darkness in me. I know what I've done this week. I know the times I've not been loving, not been caring, not been serving. I know those times where I've thought of myself above others. And guess what? Spoiler alert, this book is going to talk a lot about loving your brother and sister in Christ. And it says, if you don't love them, then the light is not in you. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. Well, that's great. So if we say, oh yeah, I'm walking with Jesus. I follow him. But then my life shows, well, actually, no, I don't. It says that we're not walking with him. Walking in darkness separates us from the light. And in fact, it's lying if we say we do, so it's an extra mount of darkness that separates us when we say, oh yeah, no, I've got it. And it kind of comes back to me because how often do I say up here that we are saints struggling with sin? Well, here John sure makes it sound like if you're struggling with sin, then there's no place for you in the light. Let's look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So he takes this moment and goes, yeah, listen, if you've got darkness in you, you're separate from God. Can't change that. And in fact, if you say you're walking with God, but you're dealing in darkness, you're lying, and that's even worse. But here he says, but if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all sin. And that sounds like works righteousness, which is this idea that says, if I do good, then I can earn brownie points from God. And as I earn those brownie points, he loves me more. And if he loves me more, then I can gain more and more from him. Well, the good news is that this doesn't stop with verse 7. We keep going in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I would love to have been there as this letter was being read out loud for one of the first times. To watch the people hearing these words that John had written and going, oh no, there's darkness in me. And he's saying, in God, there is no darkness. And now he's saying, if I walk in the light, then God will cleanse me. And now he's saying, if I say I have no sin, wait a second, you just said if there was darkness in me and I lied about it, there was more darkness. But now you're saying if I say I have no sin, then the truth is not in it. So how do I get to this point where something better happens? Because now I'm stuck in the in-between of saying if I sin, well, then I'm in the darkness and the light can't help me. But if I say that I have no sin, well, now I'm lying. Well, that's darkness. And, you know, here we are, catch 22, back at it. Verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is one of the great paradoxes of faith. Because you could pick and pull this to say you need to live a sinless life. 
that if you're not living a sinless life, then Jesus is obviously not in you. But then you could you'd have to cut verse 8 out of the Bible, which says if, if you say you don't sin, then you're deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you. Well, that's because it all hinges here on verse 9. That this paradox actually is power for us. That just like turning on a light in a dark room, whatever the light touches becomes light. And so as John writes, what he says is he says, listen, when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I hope you know these two verses because we say them every week in our confession and absolution. There's a reason we use the same words so many times. It's because this is a key part of who we are as people of Jesus. Is that we are a people who there is this temptation to believe that to be a follower of Jesus I have to be perfect. There is that temptation. The problem is when we think like that we are deceiving ourselves. The light enters in not when we are perfect but when we admit that we are not. When we admit darkness, the light cleanses. He'll go on in verse 10 to write this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Every week, we do confession and absolution. Every week. And the reason we do it every week is because we need that light to come in and cleanse us. Now listen, you might be seeing, saying, waiting a week is too long. Hold on to that thought. Confession and absolution is a gift given to us. That as John writes this book, he starts off by saying, listen, you want to be in the light? And that's what Matt will be talking about next week is one of these classic verses which is, if you want to be in the light, you don't walk in darkness, walk in the light. There's an old DC Talk song. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. There you go. Ted's karaoke. Glad you can make it. The way we access the light is not by trying harder. The way we access the light is by confessing that we can't. Is by confessing that we need the Savior who was made manifest for us. You see, John's writing to say our joy will be complete in that fellowship found in the body, not because we're perfect or better than anyone out there, but because we have the Savior who when we request the light switch, he turns it on. And he cleanses and burns the darkness out of us. And so confession and absolution is a key part of what we do. That's why we do it together Every week. That's why we stick to similar words. Is because I want you, because I need it. If you're out and going, I need to confess this thing. My hope is that you come back to some of those words. In fact, if you look up confession in Scripture or just the word confess, it's going to pop 
a lot of verses. I picked two. From Psalm 32, 5, David writes and says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is a man living with the hope of the Savior, but not yet manifested. But he still says, I confess my sins because you are faithful and just and you forgive my iniquity, my failings. James would write it like this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great prayer as it is working. One of the privileged things I get to do that I hope I'll convince you by the end of the sermon could become a part of your life, is to hear the confession of other people. It doesn't happen all the time. Because let me tell you, you want, you want space on a plane, on a train, on any kind of public transport. If someone talks to you and they don't know you, and they're just you know, bringing up conversation, you always get around to, well, what do you do? Man, you say pastor, and they immediately get big eyes because of the three curse words they said before in this conversation. But it's going to go two ways. People are going to go, oh, that's great, and then they clam up. Or they start confessing all of these things to you. And they start going, listen, like, uh, I didn't mean it like that, and, you know, uh, I don't go to church. And I'm like, you, like, I'm not your pastor. Like, I'm just a pastor. You should go to a church, I agree, but like, it's okay, because they get real nervous that you're immediately judging them. But one of the cool things I've gotten to do over the years is sit with people as I've pastored at Faith, as I've pastored here at Narrative, and hear some of the darkness that's rested in them. And listen, when we say darkness, sometimes we go real deep and we think, oh, the deep darkness. No, I'm talking about anything that takes us from Jesus. But I've been able to sit across tables from people as they have shared that. And I've been able to look at them and say, well, you know what the Bible says about that? Is that upon your confession, you are forgiven. I watch people break down in tears, me struggling not to cry as well. Because what confession and absolution does for us, the reason John writes this and says, listen, don't deceive yourselves. Don't lose it, is because when we recognize the darkness in us, we recognize the need for the Savior. When we recognize our own failings, we recognize that we need someone to save us. And then when we confess our sins and we hear in that confession, you're forgiven, the Savior is at work, we realize that gift was free. It was a gift for us. And sometimes as people in the church, we lose sight, like Jesus loves me is like, you know, that's for kids. Jesus loves me is not for kids, it's for you, it's for me. And in fact, look at how John talks about it. He says, listen, we're going to talk about the Word made manifest and how He manifested through the Father. And in fact, the power for us declaring that is because He has cleansed us. The reason we share it for our joy that it may be complete, is we want to see your joy in what Jesus is doing in his absolution of your sins. 
you got some options. There's always Sunday morning. And just don't make it, you know, there will be days that you show up to church and what you did was you drug the kids into clothes, into a car seat, out the door, into church, and you're here. And that's a high five all around. You made it. And when you get to confession absolution, you're just like, can we sit down, please? I know it's going to be the prayer before we get to sit down, but I'm ready now. And you're just going to, you know, I'm a sinner, okay, and the moment of silence, and all I'm thinking about is I got a roast in the crock pot, and I hope it's going to be fine when I get home, and there will be those days. There will be the days that you go through the motions. My prayer is the days that you go through the motions in the midst of confession absolution, you still hear that you are forgiven, even of going through the motions. But my deeper prayer is that when you show up on Sunday, you're like, Give me confession absolution. That's why I'm here. Matt can sing like the voice of an angel. We can sing together. Ted can preach. Whatever. Confession absolution. Let's do it. All the pieces of the service are good. All of them are great. But you know what confession absolution leads us to? It leads us to the table. It leads us to the meal that gives us that forgiveness that we can touch, taste, and see. My prayer is that Confession and absolution would be the rocket fuel for your life. Because that's what John is writing here. He's saying, you want to know how to have fellowship? You want to know how to live following Jesus? You can't have darkness. Do you know how to not have darkness? Confess. And watch the brilliance of his grace. So you've got options. You've got Sunday mornings, corporate confession, absolution. Not corporate like, you know, Disney is buying another movie studio. Corporate like all of us together, right? We call it corporate confession, absolution. I'd encourage you, if you have a brother or sister in Christ, be it a friend, a family member, a spouse, whatever it is, someone you can confess to and not... There's, there's a temptation in the church that it's like, oh, tell me what you've done wrong. I want to hear it. That's not what this is. This isn't us going, I want to hear how bad you are. It's saying, listen, I want to hear it because I want to tell you how much Jesus loves you. I want to tell you about how you can be forgiven. And so if you have someone like that in your life, that's what James is talking about when he writes here, In James 5, when he says, confess your sins to one another, it's not about going, ooh, we got the hot gossip. As the kids would say, I got the tea. No, it's about saying, here's forgiveness of sins. So I'd encourage you to look for a fellowship, a relationship like that, where you can confess one to another, not to tear each other down, but to declare the forgiveness of sins. And also, listen, I'll go old school with you. If you want to do private confession absolution, that was something, it used to be on Saturday nights in the old school Lutheran church. The pastor would open up the church from, you know, four o'clock to eight o'clock, and he would sit there, and whoever was coming to communion the next day would have to come and give private confession absolution. So aren't you glad that I don't do that? 
But if you ever say, hey, you're the, the guy we called to this place to deliver grace over and over again, and I just need to confess some things. I'm your guy. Call me up. Let's set up a time. Listen, you, like, you want me to anoint you with oil in that forgiveness? I'll do it. I got olive oil at home. We'll make it happen. You see, the, the rocket fuel, the power we have for fellowship together as Christians is not some kind of internal, look at how great I am, look at my self-discipline. No, it's about looking and saying, I can so easily walk in darkness, but when I recognize the darkness, I run to the light. I confess the darkness because I know that Jesus is good to shine that light again and again and again. Let's pray. Lord, let the darkness not be something we fear, but let it be a warning sign that we need to return to the light. Let us rejoice in the good news that you have given us, that that light is for us, that upon our confession, you bless us as we seek to follow you. And we can proclaim the goodness of that light for all peoples. Amen.